Welcome to the NetFront Presence. I'm Jeff Gordon of the Post-Dispatch, joined from Traverse City at the Prospects Tournament by Jim Thomas. Here in the STL, Tom Timmerman, uh, most recently at the Prospects Camp here in town, joining us. Fellows, there's so much to, to go over, so let's jump right into it. First up, JT, uh, Tyler Bozak returns to the group. Uh, Team-friendly deal, a <laughs> veteran minimum, but he stays with his family here in town, and he brings uh, critical leadership and uh, stability and versatility to this team. I'm sure that the chief had to be happy with the signing. Oh, no doubt. And, and I thought uh, he played uh, uh, very well last year. He, you know, he missed a ton of games with a concussion, but uh, you know, he's a valuable guy uh, on the penalty kill. Uh, the, easily the second best face-off man uh, on the team next to uh, O'Reilly. And uh, they got him pretty cheap. Now, as Tom pointed out in, in one of his, uh, uh, rookie camp uh, notebooks. He's he's got some pretty easily attainable incentives. What is it, Tommy? Like seven hundred and fifty. Uh, Double his salary if he gets in ten games. If he gets in ten games, so he's he's probably going to end up in that one five to two million range, uh, which we we kind of thought might be what he would get, and uh, it's it's a pretty shrewd way to kind of finesse the cap. They don't they don't have to be charged uh, for any incentives he reaches until uh, uh, after uh, this season. And I think the plan is to play him on the fourth line, uh, which I think would just be, uh, would just be outstanding to have a guy like that on the, uh, on the, on the fourth line. I recall he played a couple games there late last season. Then there were some more injuries and he got bumped back up to the, uh, to the third line, but uh, uh, yeah, Bozak on the fourth line, that uh, could be pretty good. Yeah. He's at a place in his career where his defensive play is, far exceeds his offensive play. And he's a guy that you could see getting in games late in games, that he'd be the kind of guy to be on the ice in the last two minutes. Uh, he'll win face-offs. He'll be solid defensively. Uh, so if you're protecting a lead, he's the equivalent of your closer that uh, he would be on the ice um, in those situations. A lot of this depends on Oscar Sundquist's status. Obviously, if, and this kind of suggests that maybe Sundquist won't be back you know, at least for the first 10 games uh, that the uh, long-term injured reserve is in his future. On another positive note for the team, the, uh, the signing of Colton Preco, the bet on Colton Preco for management that he is not going to have a chronic back problem, that he is going to be able to, uh, to, to play after a really tough year for him physically. Uh, it seems like, uh, JT, that for the money they got him at, um, if he's just Colton Preco that we've known pre-back injury, that's a that's a that's a pretty good deal. And if he ever becomes the player that some suspect he could become someday, uh, given the going rate for those kind of defensemen, uh, then it becomes a really sweet deal, JT. No, no doubt about it. And we saw some of the money that some of the, the defensemen made, uh, uh, the, the other high-profile defensemen around the league, like Seth Jones, uh, made around the league. So, yeah, if he plays uh, – even like you say, like Colton Pareko uh, and doesn't even take the next step, which we all think he's capable of doing back, uh, you know, if his back cooperates uh, six and a half million, let's just say five years down the line, that'll seem like a bargain. I don't know how uh, Armstrong does it. He, he seems like he never goes above that six, six and a half, I guess, Tarasenko seven and a half, but uh, you know, the, the, the blues don't have these uh, 9 million, $10 million, uh, players and somehow Armstrong gets these guys in at uh, 
you know, the, the, the lower rate and it kind of feeds into, you know, Armstrong's kind of team, uh, I guess, uh, philosophy and putting together a roster. He wants to get a lot of really good players, not necessarily one or two superstars and, and, and then kind of fill in the gaps. Someone asked me, I think it was on Twitter or could have been in a chat, um, you know, a month or so ago, what I thought Pareko would get salary wise. And I, to my credit said six and a half million. Um, oh, you so, did not, uh, did you? Did I did you? do. I did say that. Yeah. So I'm going to, so I'm going to brag about that. But, uh, <laughs> but I think I said, look, Falk makes six and a half million. Krug makes six and a half million. I think six and a half million is a start is the starting point uh, for Pareko. You know, he's a guy with, if he'd become an unrestricted free agent, after the Stanley cup season or after the world cup of hockey season, where he kind of got everyone's attention, he would have been one of these $9 million uh, guys. Uh, the blues are fortunate in that the last two years haven't been something that drove up Pareko's price. Uh, that may still happen, but his last two years weren't as good as the two previous years. All right. One more thing we could touch on before we talk about 91. Um, and I think it was another, another feel good story. Old Buffalo head uh, gets to uh, to retire as a note, a ceremonial deal. David Backus, uh, as lovingly referred to, was it Buffalo head by Petro in the cup final? Settle down, Buffalo head. Um, boy, there's a guy, and you know it. It did make you feel go back and feel pangs of uh, you know, uh, you know, feel some of his pain for not winning the cup here and then watching the Blues win the cup at the expense of his Bruins, but. Well, you know, at the end of the day, JT, here's a guy that was, he just represented everything the Blues wanted to become and and tried to, and and tried to be, and, and he hard soul guy. And one of those things, you know, it's a shame he left, but if he didn't leave, they probably don't get O'Reilly. They probably don't win the cup. So uh, at the end of the day, it worked out for both sides, I suppose. But, um, but, you know, you just get the sense maybe David never, never should have (laughs) left. Well, I'm sure he's he's probably had moments where where he's regretted that. And and the thing is, and again, all of his games were before my time on uh, here on the Blues beat. But, uh, you know, he helps build this foundation that leads to a cup. And then he's gone when the kind of the fruits of that labor uh, manifest themselves in in, uh, 2019. He's he's no longer a blue. And not only that, he's, he's on the receiving end of it as a Boston Bruin. But uh, you know, pretty close to uh, scripting a, a perfect ending for him. That game, uh, uh, I guess it was, uh, I, I think it was in May, uh, Anaheim here, and to, to, to get the video tribute. And it was a tough loss for the, the Blues, a shootout loss. They were scratching for a playoff berth then, but they still, O'Reilly has him line up and shake his hand, kind of like a end of a playoff series. And, and the crowd was just so so into it, as, as I recall. Uh uh, you know, a great moment for him. And you know how St. Louis sports fans are. I always, uh, you know, the, the ultimate to me was like, so Taguchi came into town and he got, he got a standing ovation, you know, at Bush stadium. That's, that's how uh, St. Louis sports fans, they, they treat him their own. And, and even back has said uh, uh, the day he retired, what, what did he say, Tommy he said something like uh, uh, the, these fans here, they treat me like I'm still in town and still a part of the mm-hmm. team. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, let me say I was a big So Taguchi fan, uh, just covering the team at that time. And so, so was a was a good guy in the in the clubhouse and uh, limited English, but he was good to good to deal with. But uh, back is even better. Yeah, he he put thing put the pieces in place, got the foundation going for that team. You know, for, came down to 
he wanted that fifth year on the contract and Doug Armstrong didn't give it to him. From Armstrong, for the Blues point of view, that proved to be the exact right thing to do because Backus didn't make it that far. The last two years of his playing days were not great you know, playing time. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a it was a wise move by the Blues. Backus made a lot of things happen. And for those of us who were there that day, we will always have uh, the pig that he brought to, uh, to, to practice one day and was running around in the dressing room and around the Blues offices carrying a, a good-sized pig. Um, that, that, was, uh, that was quite the day. A manifestation of Roar Bacon, right? Uh, it was. It was Roar <laughs> Bacon come to life. And, and Bacchus bragged to us on that, that, uh, that Zoom uh, on, on his retirement day that, uh, with, with some delight, I would say, that the, the, poop, uh, the pig pooped in uh, Hitchcock's office, right? Yes. <laughs> wasn't, I wasn't, we, we never got to see that, but yes, he was. It's, it's a, and knowing the players had an had a interesting relationship with Hitchcock, and so that was certainly, um, <laughs> they, they gave them a certain feeling of satisfaction. I believe, <laughs> you know, that happened in Ken's office. And you can kind of imagine how Ken would have felt uh, about it. Yes. That. Oh, God. All right, so now the, a player that's probably not held in quite as high esteem by teammates, uh, not that he's evil or anything, but he just doesn't have the same standing, never has, and apparently never will. JT number 91 is uh, still with uh, uh, still among our heroes. And uh, as training camp nears efforts to move uh, said player have uh, failed. And so uh, Jim Thomas, here we are. This, this could be interesting. I, I never would have thought that I would say this, but I think there's a chance, maybe a good chance that he opens camp with the, uh, with the blues. When I, when I kind of went on my August hiatus, I had heard that the, uh, the Blues not only weren't getting any calls on him, but hadn't really gotten any calls, period, on uh, Tarasenko, that no teams had even asked for medical uh, information on him. And if if you're a uh, uh, looking at a guy like Tarasenko, even if you're only mildly interested, wouldn't that be the first thing you did? Was, okay, let's see, his, let's see his medical info. So uh, I guess a combination of his complaining of uh, – to a large degree through his agent, the shoulder problems, and the fact that what, what do you have? Not, is it not even 10 goals in the last two years with a seven and a half million dollar a year contract? Uh, just uh, nobody knocking. Now, you know, as Armstrong has said, and Jay Zygmunt used to say you're, uh, with, the, with the Rams back in the St. Louis days, that you're only one phone call away. So it could change in an instant, but especially at seven and a half million, I, I just, it just doesn't look like there are any takers. And now all the teams we kept hearing Islanders, maybe Carolina. Well, the Islanders are over the cap right now. I don't know where Carolina is, but just no, nothing has developed. It has turned into a complicated situation and, you know, Armstrong probably had a better chance to trade him before the Tarasenko issues, uh, you know, went, went public. Um, I think, I think he had a little more leverage. Now teams are saying, you got to trade him. We want him for next to nothing. And if Armstrong is trying to get something back for it, you know, that becomes hard. You know, how much salary would they have to keep to make that deal happen? They can keep up to half. So 3.75 million, you know, but is at what value is Tarasenko worth? And I asked Jim this the other day, if you're the opposing team general manager, how do you win that? You know, how do you win that press conference when you announce you've acquired Vladimir Tarasenko? You know, how do you say, yes, we've done some, we've done a great thing here by getting this guy. And I don't know. We've seen him skating though with teammates. He's skate. He's been skating at Centene, 
uh, with teammates. I saw him there yesterday uh, out there. And, you know, it's not like he's being shunned. Um, you know, he's, he's out there skating along with everybody else. He's in the room with everybody else. And I think we may overestimate some of these feelings. I mean, the, the players know Tarasenko. They've dealt with him for years. And players can relate in some way to a guy that, gosh, surgery didn't work. Is he, they wish that had gone better. I think players can, can relate to that and say, yeah, you want, you, you want that to happen. You want that to be good. And you can, they can understand that frustration that he may have because of that. Yeah. I think that's a good point, uh, uh, Tommy, about the players. Uh, you know, who knows what happens if, if he tweaks an ankle at practice and goes over <laughs> to the trainer or the team doctor, you know, <laughs> that might be a frosty reception, but as for the players, you know, other than him being a kind of a pouty teammate, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's necessarily as much friction with the, the players, but it, it sure I would think would be awkward with the, the team medical staff and, and the trainers. Now, JT, if there's one coach who can handle a situation like this, uh, is, uh, is it the unyielding uh, chief who has a, um, you know, the, he's a man of few words. He's not going to spend hours trying to counsel the guy and try to, you know, try to beg him to play better. Um, he's going to set a standard for what they do. And he's going to try to make everybody adhere to it. And if they don't adhere to it, there's, there will be, you know, repercussions. And, and he, he runs a tight ship. So JT, I guess if there's, he's a strong coaching figure, he's won a cup. He has a personality that he has the physical stature that he has the psychological stature that he has with the group. I got to think if there's one guy that can try to make, keep this from um, getting to a bad place, uh, unlike uh, John Tortorella, who might just throw gas on it, which is pretty much how he handled the same situation when he was stuck with it. I think Craig will just kind of play it off and just do what, what, uh, what, the, what the chief does. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And one thing about Baruby, if you're a player, you never have to guess where he's coming from or what's on his mind. He, and it's not always pleasant for the players, but he's blunt and direct. And the players would rather have it that way. They'd like to know where, where they stand. So saying that, I mean, what if Tarasenko opens on the third line and the second power play? Will, 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 he, will he start pouting? Uh, apparently that was among the issues. His, his, his minutes uh, decreased a little bit uh, near the end of the season. And, and uh, for a while, he wasn't on the first power play. And then, then when he was put back on the first power play, he was in front of the net where, which he didn't want to be, you know, he, he wants to be on the flanks uh, on the wing. So we'll see what, what happens. And, you know, he may get his wish on that because the blues have lost some power play guys, uh, most notably Mr. Hoffman and, but also Schwartz and, and even Dunn. So uh, uh, you would think that Tarasenko would have a good chance to open on the, on the, on the first power play. Yeah. People say to us from time to time, you know, how, why, you know, Brewery really ripped that guy in the post game. Well, how do you think so-and-so feels? And I always think there's nothing that Brewery says to us that he hasn't said to the player 20 times over and probably in much sterner tones. I mean, it's not like he's breaking news post game. If he's unhappy with how someone played, he's told them. Let's, you know, that he's, he's not deciding when he sets up to the microphone there that he's going to do it. He's done it. Um, yeah, the question of how Tarasenko gets used, I think is going to be an issue, you know, and do you treat it as though it's perfectly normal and say uh, he gets on one of the top two lines and then you end up bumping one of their new acquisitions or someone else down to the third line? Or do you want to get lines in place that are going to stay? So there's the potential that Tarasenko gets traded at any moment. Um, 
you know, so do you want to get other things in place and get them rhythms going there and not risk having to pull things apart when Tarasenko gets traded? I think that's one of the things that's going to bother this team if this goes on. This is this sort of Damocles hanging over everyone's head, expecting, I mean, he's a you know, dead man walking. When is this guy going to go? That he's going to go at some point. He's not going to be there the whole season. And I think that's the effect it's going to have on the team is not that they don't like having him around, but there's just going to be all this uncertainty that surrounds the team. Yeah, I don't think the the chief will do it. I'm hearkening back to the uh, the days of uh, when my, my friend Doug McClain was an assistant coach with the Red Wings, and they were trying to prop up Jimmy Carson, just to hoping against hope that somebody would take the guy because Jimmy had just quit playing. So they put him on the power play first unit. They put him in offensive zone starts. They gave him every offensive opportunity they could while hiding him as much as they possibly could defensively, just hoping they could prop the guy up to get him traded. I don't know that the, the Blues are going to go to that extreme. If, if Vladdy plays well, I mean, the Chief will play him. If Vladdy doesn't play well, I don't I don't see uh, the Chief compromising uh, the team structure or uh, the team uh, intensity to try to get a guy off, you know, to, to prop him up on the trade market. That, I, I can't imagine that working well. I think at times maybe Doug Armstrong has tried to influence some – the way players are handled. And I don't think he's gotten very far with the chief. One thing uh, that I sense is that uh, uh, Tarasenko is uh, he's pretty happy right now, partly because there's, there's a lot of Russians around, you know, Buchnevich, he will make the team. Kostin should make the team. And, and you've got guys that uh, like Torpchenko is definitely kind of knocking at the door. I think Alexandrov is a year away, but the Klim Kostin on the, uh, TikTok had a little thing the other day. They they had like a Russian dinner party at uh, at uh, Tarasenko. So I think he's happy to have these Russians around, and maybe that'll have. Uh, and and again, not all five of them will, will be around. Uh, uh, you would think once the final rosters uh, or the 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 opening day roster is set, but uh, you know, a, a happy, motivated Tarasenko is usually a good thing. Yeah, it that you know camp starts. You know, I think they'll report probably next Wednesday, maybe be on the ice Thursday. And so there's not a whole lot of time left if something's going to happen. And you wonder, does a domino have to fall somewhere else before things go into place? Does an ankle situation or does someone suffering a season-ending injury, is it going to take something like that to make something happen to, to you know, put the wheels in motion? All right, let's move shift to the, uh, the youngsters because uh, JT is up in uh... – in Traverse City, and then we've had our guys on the scene here in St. Louis as the youngsters started to work. Uh, JT, the Blues don't have a ton of prospects, but there are a few interesting prospects, and kind of hard to. I mean, there's, this organization is going to have some work to do while trying to, you know, retool over the next few years. But at least a few interesting guys uh, to, for fans to keep an eye on. And I guess we'll start with uh, Perunovic, uh, undersized defenseman. Maybe uh, Tory Krug uh, wannabe. Uh, not sure this team can have both of them on the team for any period of time. Uh, your thoughts on him and uh, his skill level and, and the potential there, though, is, is exciting. First, Jeff, can I can I talk about Michigan? Your your home state. Are you from Detroit? Native Detroit yeah. or no? Oh yeah, yeah. We're born and raised. Yep. What's with the drivers up here? Oh. I mean, very you don't like driving eighty. You don't like going eighty very, miles an hour. Very aggressive. And what's with the road names? 
three mile road, eight mile road. I even had a 22 mile road. And couldn't they think of names? I, I kept waiting for Eminem to be like hitchhiking at the, at the, at one of these roads. The other thing is I've upgraded at the KOA. I didn't bring the camper, which has some mechanical problems. I'm staying in a cabin besides my bed. There's a bunk. You two could come up, catch some games. The cherry festival's coming up. We got a fire pit in front. What do you think? No I'm game. I, I got to do Cardinals on Sunday though. So that's uh, all right. Uh, all right. Maybe, 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 maybe next year then guys, but yeah, Perunovic, uh, I think if you had to pick out one guy they're most interested to watch, it's him. Hobie Baker Award winner coming out of college as basically, you know, the college hockey's version of the Heisman winner. And, uh, you know, he missed all of last season except for a couple of weeks of practice uh, uh, with, the, with the shoulder injury. Interestingly, my friends, he had the surgery done in St. Louis by Mr. Smith, Matt Matava, and Matt Smith. So uh, 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 he didn't go the Tarasenko route. In, uh, in, and he in liked the surgery out. very much, was very happy with that one. He raved about his, uh, he raved about his surgery. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what he can do. I thought it was very interesting that Tim Taylor the other day said he will be the captain of, uh, of the team. So that, that's kind of an indication of the high expectations they have for, for him. I think he's a guy that, especially after missing last year, needs needs a, a year of seasoning in the AHL but but we'll see that's what camp is all about that's what these games at Traverse City are all about show something to 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 the coaches and maybe make them change their mind that hey we got to get this guy on the roster maybe and if Perunovic was just dazzling here and in camp maybe you know maybe he uh, uh, nudges out a Jake Wallman uh, for a spot or maybe somebody gets hurt so uh it's going to be fascinating to watch him starting with uh at uh, I guess it's uh, this afternoon against the Toronto prospects. Yeah, right now is he the the ninth defenseman in the organization? Even though he's yet to play a game, because I other after Stephen Santini, I don't know if any of those other minor leaguers that they signed, you know, would be in line ahead of Perunovic. He obviously needs to play. You know, the risk of if you if he having him play would mean they have to give up on somebody because they. Mikola and Wallman are not waiver exempt, so they would have to go on waivers. Excellent chance you would lose uh, either one of them if you had to put them on waivers, trying to send them down. You know, Santini will get through waivers, but Wallman and Mikola, because they're young defensemen, probably will get taken somewhere. So I think that's why Perunovic will, will start in Springfield. I've got to learn to say Springfield after having said different minor league teams in every other year uh, recently. But uh, he'll start there and, and yeah, get that experience. He's, it's just been a long time since he's played games. But um, and he can play on the right side. I mean, he can help in a lot of ways. So uh, he'll they'll be it'll be good for the Blues when they finally get him there. Yeah, that's a key point, Tom, that he can play the right side. He played the right side almost exclusively, even though he's, he's a lefty. Perunovic played almost exclusively for three seasons at Minnesota Duluth, which won back-to-back titles with him there and was primed to make a run for a third when uh, the season was halted by COVID. So if you're wondering, boy, aren't, aren't the Blues a little short on right-side defensemen? Perunovic should be able to uh, slip right in there. Now, for last year was a disaster for so many prospects with the uh, major junior leagues. Um, not operational, uh, largely non-operational. The American Hockey League uh, was a problem. Some teams not operational. <laughs> Blues got caught in that situation, plus guys were running back and forth to teams and being quarantined and just not really having a chance to play hockey. 
But the Blues did make, as it turned out, a great decision by sending Kostin and Tropchenko to Russia. They played a lot. And as a result, the, uh, the Blues have some depth up front uh, that's a little different than last year, JT. Uh, uh, Clem should play for this group based on you know, his finish in the KHL. And uh, Tropchenko there is a guy that, uh, you know, advanced his career a bit and uh, has a chance, I guess, uh, the verdict is that uh, could at least fill in this year some. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And they're both big guys, power forward types that skate well for their size and aren't afraid to uh, mix it up, which I think we all agree uh, the Blues could use, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, of that. Now, you know, based on his past scoring, uh, maybe Torpchenko, may, maybe he's just a, 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 a fourth line guy. And it, it speaks to your original point that Jeff about the prospects, yeah, the, the Blues have maybe eight or 10 guys, but they don't really have, a guy like a Cairo or a Thomas uh, coming up that are like, Oh my God, this guy, you know, he's going to be a top six guy. Maybe at some point Costin is, but uh, I would say third or fourth line guy now, because, you know, he's been in three full AHL seasons, a whole season in the KHL where, where he won the Gagarin cup, you know, they, they won the, uh, they won the KHL, his team, but he's never, I don't think he's ever scored 20 goals in, in, in a minor league season. So I, I think you would have to, maybe score more. And maybe that's still possible. It seems like we've been talking about him forever, but he's still only 22. So, uh, uh, but, I, but I think he's got to make the roster uh, this year and, and, and you just have to, you have to get him out there. And uh, it, it's interesting that they, they didn't send him up here, uh, even though, you know, he's played a handful of uh, NHL games. They didn't send him up to the prospects. Uh, uh, you know, Dakota Joshua, who played what, 11, 12 games last year, is here. I, I, I think they feel like Costin, he's got, he's got nothing else to kind of prove playing in, 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 in Traverse city. And uh, he he's one of the guys I'll, I'll really be watching. I, I guess, I don't know exactly how it'll happen. You know, vis-a-vis the other guys that he might beat out, but he's got to be on the opening day roster. And yet he might not <laughs> because Clem Costin is waiver exempt. And if this team is, still has Tarasenko there and is working around the cap. Uh, and if they only carry 22 guys, you, you, you want to keep one extra forward, but not two. Do you, do you risk sending, you know, Kostin doesn't have to clear waivers. They can send him down. So it's easier. It's the path of least resistance. You don't risk anything other than really getting Clem Kostin unhappy by sending him to the AHL. I don't know that he has anything left to learn in the AHL, uh, but uh, dollars could be the one thing that would keep him from being on the opening day roster, just that anybody else they tried to, they would risk losing because he's the one guy on this team that is waiver exempt. That is among the core players. Yeah. The tricky part though, JT is, uh, you know, he's had enough of uh, San, uh, not San Antonio, just AHL. He's seen, he's seen the last of San Antonio uh, as everybody else has uh, in the A, but um, you know, he's, he does have the KHL option, and this is the make or break year. If he doesn't stick with the Blues, then I would imagine he's going to play in the KHL for a while. Uh, take the Dmitry Yashkin route and just say, uh, you know, even more so, he would be motivated to take that move. So if they're ever going to, if he's ever going to, this is it. Either he, he makes it this year or else I think that's the end of him as a, as a Blues prospect, just because from his end, based on what he did in Russia, he, he's, got a, he's got a fallback that's um, – to him, probably more attractive than the A. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and uh, interesting that you mentioned that because remember there was uh, right after uh, 
his team, Avangard Omsk, won the uh, won the uh, uh, Gagarin Cup. Uh, there was some talk. I don't know if it was a assistant or some part of Costin's uh, entourage over there that mentioned that he was going to stay there. So, and it was a little blip on the radar screen. But you're right. Yeah, if, if he goes after, and he was, I guess, kind of a star. Uh, over there, if he goes through this season and he's frustrated because he's he's not on the big roster, uh, I, I I would think uh, once his contract expires, his the KHL might be pretty pretty uh, intriguing for him. Hey, let's give a shout out to uh, Dimitri Yashkin for uh, being back in the league after went to went to the K, um, did well, and you know, he was making a million dollars a year when he left. He's making three point two when he comes back after time being there. I, I don't know if he has transformed into a great offensive player and he's a really good defensive forward um and he's in arizona now and we'll see how that uh, works out for him would it be interesting if, if he came back and not only was he a goal scorer and he's getting paid but what if he was suddenly the, the most talkative guy on earth suddenly <laughs> he, did, he couldn't shut him up in these interviews that he was just uh, he and tyson nash were doing these lengthy uh, post-game uh, chit chats on, on the tv wouldn't that that would be more amazing i think than the goal scoring jt Jeff Gordon, known for satire. Uh, yes, Dimitri Askin was was uh, he, he was he was not the most uh, talkative type during his his time in St. Louis. Yeah, what if he came, became like a TikTok uh, or Twitter sensation? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know. But a nice guy. Just uh, oh yeah, just didn't didn't have much didn't have much to say. Okay, last thing here on the net front, we've we've touched on a few of the young guys. Uh, JT, uh, is there one other player that Jim Thomas is looking particularly to see? something from uh, between uh, in this event as, as, as the organization prepares for training camp. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I guess I'll throw and, and just off the top of my head, maybe Alexandrov. He was their first pick in the draft after the, uh, the Stanley cup, which none of us really paid that much attention to because they had just won the cup, but a uh, second, second round pick, but uh, he was training in Germany with a pro team. And then ended up playing like half a season for a team in Finland and then came over to the, the, uh, uh, to the AHL and played really well in about seven or 10 games at the end of the season for Utica. And uh, he's a guy that maybe is a little bit under the, uh, uh, you know, under the, uh, under the radar a little bit. So I'm re really curious to see what he does. Bill Armstrong has compared him numerous times uh, when I've talked to him to uh, a young Tyler Bozak and some fans are like, look, Tyler Bozak. Well, think of Tyler Bozak, maybe five years ago in his prime in, in Toronto, a, a useful player. And, and, and so uh, uh, he, he's one guy of many, really I'm excited. I, I've tried to pay attention to most of these prospects uh, over the years. I'm excited to see uh, all of these guys, but Alexandrov's an interesting guy. Tim Taylor said, Probably won't make a roster push this year unless there's some injuries or whatever. But the next year, uh, you know, there, there, there are some guys that are they're just about ready to, to play for the varsity, and he, he's one of them. You know, uh, Toropchenko is a, one of those guys who could slip in this year. At uh, practice yesterday, he, he blew around Perunovic on a, on a drill. So uh, even for his height, showed, showed some speed there. I will say the next time they did the drill, Perunovic did not let him get past. So maybe Perunovic was just underestimating how fast uh, Toropchenko was. And but also say a fascinating thing, and this is going to play out over the next few years, is what happens with their goalies. They, they've got two 
stud young goalies and Joel Hofer and Colton Ellis, who are effectively the same age. I was stunned. I, I'm going to tout the story I wrote this morning. But even though one of them, even though Hofer was drafted a year ahead of Ellis, they're essentially two months apart in age. Uh, just because Ellis's birthday fell on the other side of the draft cutoff. So he was eligible the next year. If, that was, if they'd been in the same draft, the Blues would only have one of them. But because they were in different years, the Blues have two of them. They are effectively the same age. They are going to be challenging for jobs. Uh, Ville Husso needs to look over his shoulder. But Ville Husso could still be a, a very good goalie. And so they've got three young guys, a more established Husso, a younger Hofer, and even younger Ellis coming in the pipeline. And Bennington's got a six-year deal. So you're, and so you're looking at there's one spot and you got three guys that are going to be making a case for uh, this year and in the years to come. But uh, Bennington won't be nervous about those kids. So I can go that <laughs> no. And how will history remember the Evan Fitzpatrick era? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the channel, just Jeff of, Garden. Remember he gave up that well goal? Was it, in a, was it in a scrimmage or a preseason game? He gave up an own goal himself. <laughs> Kind of knocked it, and that was yeah. kind of the beginning of the end for Evan. Well, they come and they go, and you know it's a tough <laughs> position there, JT. But uh, all right, well that's it for this uh, this edition of the Netfront Presence. It's great to have the guys back. Looking forward to doing this every week for Jim Thomas up in Traverse City for Tom Timmerman here in the SDL. I'm Jeff Gordon. Until the next time, see ya.